0: Wow, the love of God, measureless and strong. You know, a man that was thought to be insane was in a padded cell, and he wrote the last verse of that song. Could we with ink the ocean fill, and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God of love would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The reckless love of God. Lord, we've come to a time in this service when we open your word to mine its riches. Your word is filled with all kinds of potential to do in our life what no other power can do. We need your touch this morning, a touch that only you can give. There are people who have come into this service this morning with cares that need to be cast upon you because you care about them. There are people that are facing decisions and choices in this audience today, O Lord, that I hope the Word of God will give them guidance and direction. There are people that are hurting emotionally in this service today, O Lord. And I pray that the Word of God would bind up their wounds and touch them. There are others, O Lord, that are just tired and weary with the journey. But I pray, God, you would refresh them by the newness of your Word. That it would do, O God, for them what we have prayed that you would do in this service. Touch us now, O oh God, with anointing to preach and teach, and anoint our ears and our hearts to absorb what is taught, that we may leave here transformed by the renewing of our mind. In Jesus' name, Amen and Amen. Turn with me to Mark's Gospel, if you would. Mark chapter 4, and verse 18. Jesus taught by what we call parabolic illustrations, or in other words, word pictures, metaphorical word pictures that show us what the kingdom of God is like. And as he taught this parabolic illustration, this context, is that some of the seed cast from the bag of the sower fell upon rocky, stony ground and took no root. Other fell on ground that lacked moisture and lacked depth. And praise God, the end of the Illustration was that some fell on good ground and it produced a hundredfold and it was fruitful. There was some seed that fell among thorns and ground that was already inhabited by another plant and the seed couldn't compete with the plant that was already there. Verse 18 says, These are they which are sown among thorns such as hear the word. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches and the lust for other things entering in and choke the word and that word becomes unfruitful. Unfruitful. Everybody say unfruitful. Now what is so tragic is that a life could be unfruitful. That our walk with God would be unfruitful. That our testimony. Or our reputation would be an unfruitful reputation. It's terrible when the word of God is choked out in our lives and we are left unfruitful. We don't produce. Now, we're going to talk about this thing called destiny. Because every sower that goes forth to sow seed, he sows that with anticipation, expectation, and hope. He believes in the power of the seed. Could I tell you when the disciples asked Jesus, what is this parable? We don't understand this parable. And the only place I know of that he ever explained the parable is here. And he said, the seed is the word of God. The seed is the word of God. And he identified the things that choke, the briars and and the thorns, and he said those are cares of this life and deceitfulness of riches and lust for other things. In other words, something else had a priority already established there, and the word of God could not uproot what was there because the sower had great expectation, great diligence in sowing, He gave it every chance, every opportunity that he could, but it was unfruitful. What does that tell us? That tells us that not everybody that we preach to is going to be converted. That tells us that not everybody that we witness to is going to accept the Lord Jesus and live a life worthy of his name. That lets us know that everybody that we come in contact with, that we influence for God's sake, it's going to accept that influence and react positively and accept the Lord Jesus into their life. So then the kingdom of God is almost prevented from coming because this seed must be successful in changing people's lives. I believe the word of God is quick and it's powerful. I believe the Word of God can change people's lives. I believe the Word of God is so sufficiently empowered with the will and the power of God that it can give you a purpose and give you a promise and give you a destiny in the Lord Jesus. If I understand the Word of God correctly, it teaches me that all of us have a destiny in Christ. If you're washed in the blood, if your name is in the Lamb's book of life, if you've been... Brought about to be a new person, a new creature in Christ Jesus, and old things are passed away, and all things are become new, then God has got a great future plan for you. God has got a home in heaven. God has got a body that is incorruptible and immortal. God has got a great future with our loved ones who have outstripped us and gone on. He's got a great plan for all of us to dwell eternally in the presence of God. Enjoying fellowship and reunion and blessing, praise and worship throughout eternity. What a wonderful destiny that is. Debbie is a big fan of crime shows as i told you. She goes off or she can't watch them because she has to work, but she tapes them, one. We got all the NCIS episodes from New Orleans and from New York and wherever they have a NCIS, Los Angeles. She knows every character on every one of them and gets mad when they take one of her characters off. She knows all the episodes. She can tell you, if she, I've already seen that and he did it. She's really quick at that. One of the things she watches a lot is when people have stalkers. What is a stalker? That's someone who becomes obsessed with you and wants to make life miserable for you and control you and control your behavior and control your attitude and just affect everything about your life. Oh, that's not not a good thing, is it? To have a stalker. I want to tell every one of you in this house, you got a stalker. Every one of you that are sitting here, there's somebody that watches you all the time. There's somebody that listens to every phone call you make. There's one that's always on the job 24 7 making devices and making fiery darts to shoot at you and cut all kind of snares in your path to just plain make life miserable for you. And he is identified as our adversary and Jesus said he's a thief, he's a murderer. He wants to steal everything you've got and leave you a pauper. He wants to rob you of your integrity, rob you of your uh, walk with God, rob you of your family relationships and wind you up in the ditch bleeding and left for dead. That's his plan for you and that's the stalking part of him that keeps him busy Working on you. But I want to tell you something. Jesus said, I have overcome. I said, Jesus said, I have overcome him. And he said, you can overcome him because I share that victory with you. You don't have to be the victim of the stalker. What does the stalker intend to do? He wants to choke me. I said, he wants to choke you. He wants to choke you with the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches and lust for other things. And if he can get your eye up off of your destiny and off of the focus point of living for God and walking this walk and working your way toward this journey that we're all on, if he can distract you, if he can plant doubt and confusion and fear and intimidation, in your mind, and cause you to doubt what you have experienced in God and who you are in God, then that stalking predator, who stalks his prey, is going to win a battle against you and you'll lose your destiny if you don't realize you've got victory in Jesus. Somebody give God a great big hand clap of praise. (laughs) This is Sunday number 1,662. Since I became your pastor. Two more weeks, it'll be 64. That's right. God, uh, me and you will clap for it, okay? 1,664. That's 32 years times 52 weeks. Wow. Wow. You mean 1,662 times you've stood here? No, I missed a few Sundays along the way, but it's close. Wow. And most of those Sundays preached twice on Sunday. Boy, that's 3,200 sermons, just Sundays alone. Put Wednesday night in there, and we add another 16. We got up to 4,800 sermons, nearly 5,000. Revivals in all, my Lord, we're over 5,000. Something just sucked all the air out of this place, didn't it? <laughs> wow. When I came to Harvest, I started preaching destiny, vision, mission. Here's what God wants to do with us. God doesn't want us just to sit on the sideline and spectate. God wants us to be leaders. God wants us to set the pace. And God did miraculous things for Many of those years, for 17 of these last 32, we preached to a global audience of millions of people. Ministry won many, many people to God through television ministry. I seldom travel anywhere but what I don't meet people that knows who I am and knows about this church and knows about what we do and how we preach. There are people in Africa that know about this church. There are people in Asia, when I was in Seoul, Korea, and in Tokyo, and was in uh, Manila, and various parts of the world, they know about this church, because this church had a worldwide influence, and a worldwide testimony, and a destiny, a destiny that God said, I want to use this church to touch people all over the world, not just Anniston, not just Oxford, not just Northeast Alabama, not just America, not just this Western Hemisphere, but people from all over the world. Can you believe that a church, a local church in Northeast Alabama was given a blessing from God to preach to the whole world? That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Destiny. When God gives you a destiny, He is about to do something with you that you don't ever even expect that God would ever do. When that little baby floating in that little cradle on the Nile River was put there by his mother, do you know her name? Jacobed. What a name, Jacobed. The mother of Moses placed him in a little ark and put him afloat because there was a stalker that said there's not going to be any baby born of the Hebrews that's going to fulfill his destiny. I'm going to make sure that no baby that's born of the Hebrews will ever lead them in a revolt or would ever lead them out and would ever bring them to a place that they would become a great nation. I'm going to kill all male babies to make sure that doesn't happen. But God. But God. When you've got a destiny, God will cause things to come together. God will put people together. God will change the minds of princesses and queens and pharaohs. If you got a destiny, if God's got a plan for your life, if God is committed to use you, then all of hell and all of its imps can't prevent God from doing what he wants to do in you if you'll simply be who God wants you to be. Wow, that baby grew up and became Moses because he was drawn up out of the water. He became the first pastor of God's people. He became the the leader, the emancipator, the savior, the one that God raised up from amidst all of that oppression and slavery. And God used him to bring about an emancipation and a deliverance. And the Bible said Jesus was a deliverer like Moses, one like Moses. Thanks be to God, Moses was such a great spiritual giant In this book that we preach from him, because God had a destiny for Moses' life. And I want to tell you, God is no respecter of persons. He'll do for you what no other power can do. When David was running in the wilderness, hiding out from Saul, there was a predator, there was a stalker that was stalking David. David had a destiny. He'd been anointed. I said he'd been anointed. He'd been anointed. God had instructed Samuel to pour the anointing oil upon that 17-year-old boy and God made a promise to him. God said, I'm going to go with you and I'm going to make you a great king. I'm going to make you a person of influence and I'm going to make you a great warrior. You're going to be a great, great uh, voice for me. You're going to write psalms. It's going to go in a book one day that they'll call the Bible. I've got a destiny for you. I've got a future for you to live. I've got my hand of anointing upon you. But there was a stalker that said, I'm going to kill him. If I find him, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to keep him from realizing his destiny if I can just track him down. And like an animal, he hid out in the caves and hid out in the wilderness with his band of mighty men. And that stalker thought that he would one day kill him. But thanks be to God, David outlasted the stalker. I said, David outlasted the stalker. When a giant presented itself, he just took a stone and a shepherd's sling and slew the giant. When his men turned on him and would have killed him because of what happened over at Ziklag, the Bible said he encouraged himself in the Lord and led them in going out and taking back what the enemy had stole from them. You see, the stalker can never win if you'll just let the blesser, let God, God, be God, and you be the humble servant of God. If you'll go where he leads you, if you'll preach what he gives you to preach, if you'll do what he says for you to do and be obedient and faithful, then God has committed himself to the, that person that is destined to do a work for God. Disease, famine, nothing. Nothing can stop the destiny that God gives you if you'll be obedient to the heavenly vision. Obedient to the heavenly vision. God wants us to understand that as long as we stand in the power of His might, then you're in great shape. You're standing in a good place. You see, God is looking for people that will finish what God gave them to do. You see, there's something that reeks of finishing about that word destiny. Destiny is all about finishing. I said destiny is all about finishing. And I'll say this to you in the fear of the Lord. I don't really know where God would have taken us. I really don't know. I really don't know. But I know that if we keep our eyes upon the prize, and if we continue to obey the one who has given us a destiny, then no power on earth or hell beneath will be able to stop or prevent the destiny that God has given to you. Oh, that's powerful stuff. It's important how you finish. It's important how you finish. God wants you to finish. Paul was sitting in a jail in a prison in Rome and was writing to his son in the spirit, Timothy. And he says to Timothy, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. And now there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me on that day but not to me only, but to all them also that love His appearing and His kingdom. My Lord, when He caught down to the, the point of his looking into the future, He said, I am ready. I am now ready. i fought a good fight. i finished my course. It's all about finishing. When Jesus sat in that upper room with those disciples, He sat there and He said to them, he said, the kingdom of God is come to you. I've brought a kingdom to you. It's in Luke chapter 22, if you'd like to look at it and read it with me. Because I want to tell you, your stalker doesn't want you to finish. Your stalker wants to interrupt your walk with God and stop that walk before you finish it. Are you hearing this, Pastor? Luke 22, in a place called an Upper Room. He said, ye are they which have continued with me in my temptation.'" What's he commending them for? Faithfulness. You're the ones, you're those who have stayed with me and stood by me through my trials. What is it the Bible says about faithfulness? Be thou faithful unto, and I will give you the crown of life. Wow. Not two years, ten years, but to the end. Harvest has got to finish. Touch your neighbor and say, Harvest has got to be a finisher. We've got to get to the finish line. And if anybody thinks God's through with you and he's quit and given up on you, then you're in the wrong place. I said, you're at the wrong place. God says, I won't ever give up on you. I will complete the work that I began. I won't take my hand off of you until I complete the work which I began in you. Oh, praise God. You have been with me in all of my temptations. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me. What's he saying? He said, I'm going to include you in what God included me. The thing my father gave me to do, I'm now giving you to do. He entrusted the care of the kingdom to me. I'm going to entrust the care of the kingdom to you. Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is my church which I purchased with my own blood this is my church amen the church that I'm building the church that I am establishing the church that I'm building up day by day and adding to day by day he is committed to the church the Bible said which he had purchased with his own blood no he's not through with the church the church is God's idea God is committed to the church he's going to see the church through unto the very end Can you say thank the Lord for that? The kingdom which the Lord appointed to me, I'm now appointing to you, verse 30, that ye may eat and drink at my table in the kingdom and sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. What's he talking about here? Well, we've gone to future tense now. He's saying if you do what God gave me to do and what I gave you to do, then there's coming a day when we're going to sit down at the table. There's a meal we're all going to meet. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're going to come from the east and we're going to come from the west and we're going to come from the north and we're going to come from the south and we're all going to sit down at the table of God. In God's tomorrow, he has prepared a great futuristic event for all the people who are faithful. If we're faithful to God, if we do what he assigned us to do, if we're fulfilling our destiny, he said, then one day, one day, one day, you're going to sit in my presence and it's not going to be a beat down thing. We're going to sit on in tables and we're going to reign, he said. I'm glad God's got a tomorrow, aren't you? Amen. Touch your neighbor and say, this ain't that. Amen. This ain't that. This is not what God's got. He's got something so much better than this. Verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, Satan, the stalker, has desired to have you. He wants you. He doesn't like it that I've got you. And he wants to have you. So his desire is to take you away from me. Are you getting this? Simon, Simon. Satan hath desired you to have you. He wants to have you. Can all of you realize, sitting here today, that the devil would love to have you? He's mad because God's got you. He's upset. He's angry. He's disappointed because God's got you. And he doesn't have you. And He's working hard night and day to have you. Boy, I hope that gets through to us. Because as long as God's got me. I said as long as God's got me. There's no foe that can defeat me. There's no power that can separate me. There's nothing that can tear me away. If God has got me, the devil can't have me. And as long as God's got me, he's committed to me. He said to me, no weapon will prosper that's fashioned against you. He's promised me that when trial comes, he'll give me a way of escape. He's promised me that nothing can ever separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. If God's got you, the devil can't have you. Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to have you, that he may sift you like wheat. Wow. I love the next verse. Touch somebody, maybe asleep, shake them a little bit because they need this. The next verse. But, I love it when Jesus butts in. But, Satan has desired you. Satan's planted to steal you, but, but I have prayed for you. Don't you love it when you can call in prayer request? Don't you love it when you can call a friend or call... Sister Jerry's prayer meeting to say, put me on the list. Y'all pray for me. But before Simon even knew that he was in danger, before Simon ever realized that Satan was planning a snare for him, before he ever knew that trial was just on the horizon right in his near future, but he found out Jesus already knew about the trial. He already knew about the sifting. He knew all about the temptation. He knew all about what was in the future. And he said, Simon, I have prayed for you. No, I want you to know this morning that he who knows the future and he who holds my hand already knows about tomorrow and the day after that and the week about next week and next week after that And he says to me, I already know what your future is and I have prayed for you. I've prayed for you. Now, they tell me that people send thousands of dollars to individuals to get them to pray for them. I'm so glad that you don't have to give an amount of money to get Jesus to pray for you. I'm so glad his prayers are not for sale. They don't have a monetary value. I don't think there's a bank in the world could cash the check anyway because what he does for me is priceless. What he does for me is measureless. What he does for me, there are no words to describe and to know that he's on my side that he's present in the throne room of God, interceding for me, making a way for me where there is no way, making a supply for me where there is no supply, doing for me what no other person on earth can do, knowing that Jesus is with me and he's prayed for me. And then Simon makes this bold proclamation, Lord, I am willing to go with you even unto death. And Jesus gave him that famous statement, before the cock throat crows, you'll deny me thrice. And you know, so many of us fall prey at times to some snare, some device, some fiery dart. I hear people tell me every week, pray for me, Pastor, I'm not really where I need to be with God. I'm talking about people that have lived for 40 years that are encountering things in this life that shakes them at their very foundation. Things going on that they just can't seem to overcome. And instead of That driving them closer to God, it drives them further away. And they say to a pastor, I'm not near where I used to be with God. I need to do something about that. I'm so glad that God never takes his hand off of us when we go through those kind of times. And when Peter said, Lord, I'll never leave you. Whatever happened to me. I'm strong. I'll die with you. And Jesus made that prophecy to him. One of the greatest sermons ever preached was preached by a rooster. I wish I could be as effective in my preaching as that rooster was. I wish conviction would follow my preaching like it followed that rooster's preaching. You see, destiny works to a finish. Jesus said in Luke 22, all things concerning me have an end. Jesus while he was eating at that table, knowing his destiny, knowing his destiny, knowing I'm going to the cross. The Bible said he set his face like a flint, determined to go. When Jesus told the disciples about going to the cross, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, not so. No, that can never happen. You're going to be a king. You're going to rule. You're going to drive out these Romans. You'll never be killed at the hands of the Romans. But all of their hopes were dashed and cowed behind closed doors. Jesus finds them here and tells them, he says, I'm going to send you another comforter. It is expedient for you that I go away. Because if I go not away, the comforter will not come. You've got to have his power to do kingdom work. The kingdom the Father gave me, I'm giving to you, but I'm going to give you the same anointing that the Father gave me. You see, enablement is the design of Almighty God to fulfill your destiny. You have an anointing. Harvest has an anointing upon this church To fulfill its destiny. Not any other church. Its destiny. Its own individual destiny. It has an anointing. An enablement from God. To do and be what God purposes for it to be. And all of hell can't change that. Oh hallelujah. When he led them out as far as Bethany. The Bible said. He raised his hands. And he blessed them. And he said, but you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost is come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. And having thus spoken, a cloud received him up out of their sight. But when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were in one mind and one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Filled all the house where they were sitting. Heard unto them cloven tongues like as a fire. Sat upon each of them and now the church is born and has taken responsibility for the kingdom. Harvest has its part to play. You have your part to play in that kingdom. You know we used to sing a Bill Gaither song a long time ago. A good great old hymn. Because he lives. Brenda sings it. I can face tomorrow. But you know what that last verse of that song says? I sang it while I held my babies. How sweet to hold a newborn baby and to feel the pride and the joy he brings. But greater still is the joy in knowing this child can face. Uncertain days because he lives. You see, there's all kind of potential when we hold that baby in our arms. You held that little old red-headed boy in your arms. There was all kind of potential. When you held that sweet little daughter in your arms, Don, you held all kind of potential. Sky's the limit to what God can do. We watch them grow. But our job is to get them from here to there. I know it was a tough day when that little bundle of joy called Rachel grew up and became a teenager driving her own car. And that day she brought that guy in there and he looked at me and said, I want to marry her. Ho. And I suddenly realized that I've got her from here to there. And now it's her turn to build a life and have a family and repeat that process. You see, our goal in this church is to get from here to there. To get from there, here to there. To be what God wants us. And you know what I realized about a baby about to be born? It's much like a promise. The only way to abort that promise is for something to happen on the inside or something to happen on the outside. Only two alternatives. With most people that lose out with God it's because of something that happened on the inside or something that happened on the outside. It either happens in you or it happens to you. What is it they said that would cause people to get in that state where they didn't walk with God anymore? He said there's Two things. Number one, he said there's deceitfulness of righteous. The cares of this life. Cares of this life. In other words, you just get become passionate about the wrong things. You just get so obsessed with wrong things. And wrong things start mattering more to you than God does. That other places become more important to you than God's house that other people become more important to you and you're more passionate about than people you worship with. And see, it's dangerous when you get like that. I've had a lot of girls bring guys in to talk to me about getting married. And she Set up the interview and she'd come in. She'd say, Oh, isn't he fine? He's so fine. Ain't he fine? Fine. And then she brings him to meet me. And I find out he's got an attitude like a drunk gorilla. Hateful, mean, he ain't pay his bills, but he's so fine. <laughs> he's so fine. I want to say, yeah, and he'll beat the out of you. Got a temper like a gorilla, and a anger and mean, hateful. And you're wanting to marry that? Come on, somebody. You sit there and act like you don't know what I'm talking about. God help us. Sometimes we just place more emphasis on these things of the world and this, or become passionate about things that God says, you don't need to go there. Come on. Don't you love it when that guy walks in, your son, he says, Daddy, I want you to meet my girlfriend now. We're probably going to get married. Where'd you meet her, son? Down at the bar. (laughs) What? (laughs) Son, you look at him and you want to marry? Come on, somebody. Sometimes we get so passionate about things that God says, you don't need that, that, no, don't you do that. Think about what you're doing. Have you lost your mind? I was in the office with Don, can tell you one I married about a year ago. They already talked about splitting. Come on. Hey, if you wouldn't be so passionate about some of these folks, do you know why ain't gonna work? I said, don't get so passionate about these folks that you don't you don't need to have. You know that ain't gonna work. But he's so fine. <laughs> he, ain't she pretty? Don't let that looks deceive you. And then, then here you are with a truckload of problems. Truckload of difficulties. If the Lord build not the house. Brother, when you esteem things more than you esteem God. When you love things more than you love God. Come on now somebody. I'm preaching to somebody. I'm trying to tell you there's a stalker and these are his tactics. He'll set you up with lies that you're so gullible that you fall for them And there are really tricks and deceit all along. Hey, it's a setup. I said it's a setup. Oh, he'll talk so pretty to you. He'll tell you you're the prettiest thing in the world. And he can't wait to just lavish you with all kind of gifts and, and do all this for you. And you're the only one he's ever really loved. and feed you that garbage. And next thing you know, you're tied up to something that you wish you weren't tied up to. When you love things and are passionate about things more than you are God, and then the next and I'm going to quit with us, the deceitfulness of riches. What is there about the deceitfulness of riches? It's not riches God doesn't mind giving you good things. In fact, I can take every person in this house and I can take you to a place in the world where you're considered rich. 98% of the world would look at this congregation to say, wow, those people are rich. But you know what rich is? Rich is relative. It's in the eyes of the beholder who's rich. You know what I found out about riches? That you'll chase them. Because it's never enough. Because when you reach one plateau and you think, I'll get fixed if I can just get riches. I know a lot of folks that's got riches that ain't fixed. Oh, if I could just get that new car over there, I believe I'd feel a whole lot better about myself. When are you ever gonna learn That things, cars, houses, it won't fix it. Because you're always you just go to another level. And when you get in that level and you get a hundred thousand dollar house, you start running around with some folks that's got two hundred thousand dollar houses. So next thing you know, they look you look poor to them. So then you've got to get a $200,000 house and you stepped up another level and then you get some friends that they've got a $300,000 house and theirs is worth more than yours. So you're chasing because you feel like that people will respect me and people will think better of me if I can just get riches. That's the deceitfulness of riches. And it's a tempter snare. It's a tactic of one who's stalking you trying to steal you away from God. If he can get you to chasing riches instead of chasing God, then he's driving a wedge between you and God. I want to tell you what. When I grew up, if I went to a friend's house and they had a television, I thought they were rich. If I ever went to my friend's house, Steve, to visit with my friends and there was cool air in that house, I said, boy, them people are rich. All we got is an old window fan pulling through at night. These people have got cool air and it ain't hanging on a window either. These people are rich. Brother, I had two pair of blue jeans and three shirts. When I come in from school, I had to take my blue jeans off and put my old clothes on. And now you go to a closet and well, wonder what I'll wear today. I used to think people had two pair of shoes, was rich and had more than one pair of blue jeans to wear to school. They were rich people. And don't you look down your nose like you wouldn't like that because I know where you come from too. But you see, When you know God, it doesn't matter where you come from. You don't have to drive a certain car and you don't have to live in a certain kind of house to have the respect. If you've got to walk with God, if you live your life by the energy that Jesus gives. You see, if you spend all of your energy on past and looking back, then you won't have energy to spend on going forward. You're only given so much energy. And if you spend all your energy on how it used to be, then you won't ever have any energy to energize going forward. God wants you to go forward. Your destiny is in your future, not your past. Your destiny is in the good things God has got for you that's in your future, not in your past. The greatest days for harvest are not in its past it's in its future and we need to live like that worship like that you see when you worship things and are deceived by the deceitfulness of riches then you're loving the blessing more than you're loving the blesser does that make any sense? You love the blessing more than you love the blesser. You've heard me preach it many times about the prodigal son. You know what was wrong with the prodigal son's stinking thinking? He said, Father, give me my inheritance. I won't My inheritance. I want the blessing. I don't care about you. I plan to leave you as soon as I can get my blessing. You see, when you love the blessing more than you love the Father. When if given the money you'd run The prodigal's problem was he wanted the blessing. He didn't love the blesser. And that's why I put that scripture on the screen when we took up the tithe and offering today. God is the one that pours out blessings, God is the one that opens up the windows of heaven. God gave you that new pickup you're driving, Jimmy. God gave you that big Ford truck you got, Gary. Come on, somebody. Cindy, God gave you that house that you live in. Rita, God is the one that gives you all the things that you've got in your life. Phil, God is the one that gave you that home you live in. God is the one that does that. Michael, God is the one that works miracles for you and gave you your health. Demetrius, God is the one that gave you your family, your cars, your jobs, all that you've got. Jerry, it's God that gave you a miracle for your body. It's God, Sam, it's God that does the blessing. He's the one that blesses. It's ridiculous for us to love the blessing more than we love the blesser. Amen. Just to bring my tithe in here and put it into the Lord, it would be great if there wasn't a blessing attached to that. We just said out of reverence and worship for the Father, I'm going to bring this to say thank you. Amen. But he says, you don't have to thank me. I'm going to bless you if you just say thank you. If you just come in my house and lift up your hands and say praise the Lord. I'm going to bless you for that. I'm going to bless you if you lick that envelope and seal that check inside and put it in the, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to put a blessing with it. If you'll just say thank you. If you'll just say we worship you. God, I don't want to worship the blessing. I want to worship the blesser. I want to worship the God who loves and gives and supplies every need that we have. My Lord, He's due all the worship. He's due all the praise. He's due all the glory. Hey, let everything that hath breath praise ye the Lord. It's greater than the blessing. Stand with me. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I'm not going to let the devil steal my destiny. That stalker's not going to get it. You know, over the years, Crime Stoppers has called me, I don't know how many times, and said, got a death threat on y'all's pastor over there. I know what it's like to pull out on the highway and look in the mirror and see if anybody's followed me. I know what it's like to always look around, and make sure there's not somebody fixing to stab you or shoot at you. You say, Pastor, are you kidding me? Don, am I telling the truth? Death threats going to kill a preacher? Call up a public place like Crime Stoppers and say, I intend to kill that preacher. Well, that's not so big a thing. He's been a contractor out on me for a long time. He's called the devil. <laughs> he's, he's, he's hired hit men before. But I'm still here. Amen. And praise God, I'll be here till God says. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah because no weapon I said no weapon no weapon glory to God Oh, brother J.B. Ellis that started this church was preaching in a, in a tent much like he did right here and a man walked into that tent one night brother Mark with a revolver and walked right up to J.B. Ellis's face and clicked it six times right in his face never fired One night outside that tent, they built a fire and took a, went and caught a rattlesnake. Put it in a jug and rolled it up against that fire and made it mad as it could be. Walked in that tent where Brother Ellis was preaching and rolled that old jug down that aisle. J.B. Ellis never stuttered, never stammered, never lost focus, didn't pause one bit. That thing came out and went right at him. And no, we're not snake handlers. But when that one came at him, he just reached down and got it, and it became as limp as a dish rag. Threw it over in the bushes and never missed a lick, just kept right on preaching. Just kept on preaching. I said he 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 kept on blessing the blesser, kept on worshiping God, kept on walking the walk and talking the talk and being the person God called him to be. Woo! If God be for us, if God be for us, if God be for us, praise God. What a thought that is. Who is on the Lord's side? Anybody in this house on the Lord's side? Who is on the Lord's side? One more question. Whose report will you believe? The devil says I am cursed, I am bound, I am diseased. But God's report says I am blessed, I am healed, I am delivered. Whose report will you believe? Hey, can we say it together? We shall believe the report of the Lord. Can you say it with me? We shall believe the report of the Lord. One more time. We shall believe the report of the Lord. Praise God. Now give Him the best praise you've got in this house. (laughs) Hallelujah! Glory, hallelujah! We shall believe the report of the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm His and He's mine. And I'm going to hold to his hand, to God's unchanging hand. Sing it with me, and we'll go. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on things eternal. Hold to God's unchanging hand. Oh, glory to God. God, in Jesus' name, we thank you so very much for letting us be in this house today. Thank you for your presence that I feel in this powerful anointing that I feel to preach your word. God, there is a world to shun and there's a, a life to gain in the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have of eternal life. And God, as we press toward the mark of the pri- prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus, I pray that you'd strengthen every heart in this place. Everyone that came here needing encouragement, I pray, O Lord, they received encouragement this morning. Everyone that needed, O Lord, direction, I pray that they got direction today about the choices they make. Touch and lift every heart. Bind everything that would come to oppose and give us deliverance, O God. Supply the need for this church. God, we've fasted, we've prayed, we've mourned, we've sought your face, God, and you are the God who delivers And we just pray in Jesus' name that you'd have your way with us now and forevermore, world without end, in Jesus' name, amen.